Section 5 of Liljekronas Home by Selma Lagerlöf, translated from the Swedish by Anna Barwell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Liljekronas Home by Selma Lagerlöf, Section 5, Chapter 4, Snow White, Part 2. Only a few months ago her father had thought she was everything she should be, but now she was good for nothing. He would certainly never be himself again until she was a changed character. But when Sexton Morius came, father forgot his heavy burden and was just as of old. She could not help thinking that dear father must love her very dearly. What restraint he laid upon himself every day for her sake! she was surely not so grateful to him as she ought to be dear mother wanted to see to supper herself to show ulla morius that they had never had such food in lövdala as now she knew that ulla was the cleverest cook in the parish and continually went to prepare wedding and funeral feasts so that it was worth while to make a show for her and whilst dear mother stood over the kitchen stove ulla proposed that snow white should go down with her to grandmother's for a little in grandmother's room ulla undid a parcel that she had brought with her to amuse them it was such a handsome present that she had got from her ladyship the countess how they laughed as ulla told how high she stood in the countess's favour and what beautiful presents she got from her once she gave ulla a lap-dog which could only be fed on cream that indeed was a generous gift to a poor sexton's wife who by no means always had a cow to milk i fancy ulla would have been almost sorry if the countess had ever given her anything that was any good how gay she was as she unpacked the last present look at that now she said see how well provided i shall be when i drive off to a peasant house to get the wedding feast ready the countess thought no doubt that she had robbed herself when she gave ulla her riding dress the english one that she had worn herself the last few years with a black cloth habit a tight-fitting red coat and a small top hat it was of beautiful stuff and certainly not worn out but quite ridiculous all the same. It was of such a length that Ulla could not take a step in it, and it was ludicrous beyond words to see her in the red jacket. Ulla wanted Snow White to try it on too, and when she did both Ulla and Grandmother Beata were quite delighted. "'There now,' said Ulla, "'what a pity the grand present didn't come to you.' it fits as though it were made for you hulla put her in front of the looking-glass puffed out her hair a little and put on the hat look at her she said to grandmother isn't she like a little noble countess have you ever seen her look so sweet hulla wouldn't hear of her taking off the riding-dress until dear father and sexton morius had seen her in it i must just say one thing snow white never ought to have dressed up she entered into it so heartily and at once thought she was someone else 
Grandmother and Ulla bent double with laughter when she began to walk and talk like her ladyship the countess. And Ulla again repeated that she would never forgive her if her husband did not see her, and insisted that they should go back to the house. Snow White thought to herself, Perhaps dear father may not like me to dress up when he is so strict with me. Before I might do it as often as I liked, but everything is different now. But as Ulla was with her, she took heart, and encouraged herself by thinking, It will never do to let yourself be quite cowed. Dear father is himself again to-day, and he cannot find any fault with your putting on the countess's dress. Another thought, too, gave her a little comfort. She believed dear mother would not at all object to their having a little joke about her ladyship. When they were out, on the stairway ulla moreus had a fresh idea she took snow white away to the stable and then persuaded longbeng to saddle blacky blacky was small and stumpy not much like the high riding horses in borg nor was the saddle with its great stuffed seat and high wooden back very similar to the one her ladyship used when blacky was ready with snow white on his back ulla ran on and called into both kitchen and drawing-room that countess marta was riding down the avenue oh oh what a commotion there was dear mother tore off her apron so that her cuff came with it and rushed out to the porch dear father sprang out too with his wig all on one side and stood by her side on the top step ulla and sexton moreus took their place behind them whilst the housemaid stood courtesying on the lowest step Snow White had her riding whip, of course, and touched up Blackie, but it was impossible to rouse him out of his jog-trot. Not that that troubled her, for she never dreamt but that her father and mother would recognize her at once. But it was too ridiculous. Mother had so constantly seen the red riding habit that the countess had worn for several years that she noticed nothing else and no sooner had snow-white saluted with her riding-whip and called out bonjour monsieur le pasteur just as the countess used to do then dear mother rushed down the steps and curtsied to the very ground itself how can i find the right words to tell it all snow-white certainly knew that dear mother was a little short-sighted and that it was quite late and dusky but she could not possibly believe that she was not recognized she thought dear mother likes me to make fun of the countess she knew of course how angry dear mother was with her old mistress and it never occurred to snow white that she would stand and curtsy to her and mother's face was aglow with joy brighter than ever in her life before snow white jumped from the saddle without help just like the countess and threw the reins to longbent then she turned to dear mother with outstretched hand and said eh bien raclitz how are you getting on in your new position and just think of it no sooner had snow white said this than dear mother bent over her hand and kissed it then at last snow white understood that her mother's eyes had deceived her and that she thought the countess had come to call on her and in her consternation snow white cried out dear mother it is only i mother drew herself up and flung away her hand 
she just gave one look at her stepdaughter then turned and rushed up the steps and into the kitchen dear father sexton moreus and ulla came round snow white now and laughed at her disguise alack alack she had to keep on acting a little while because her father looked so amused but her heart was like lead within her at the remembrance of that one look she thought to herself now i have made an enemy of dear mother she does not trouble about downright abuse but she will never forgive any one who makes a fool of her the pastor's daughter paused a moment as if to hear what the other thought of her tale it is really something to laugh at said anna brogren but i cannot do it it fills my heart with such anxiety you had better go on at once so that i may hear what misery you i mean snow white brought upon herself and so the pastor's daughter began again i really must tell you of something funny that happened one day in the end of september you will see dear foster-sister that it was nothing very important but i think it gave snow white a little courage afterwards whenever she remembered the incident she used to say to herself after all it is a good thing there is some one belonging to the house who is not afraid of mother otherwise she would have had to confess that everyone stood a little in dread of her father not excepted she could not in the least deny that mother was very careful of him and so attentive that he scarcely dared to move but ah how frightened dear father was to say no when dear mother wanted anything that was evident every day but never so clearly as when mother insisted on making brandy everybody said that dear father would never have allowed it if she had not begged and prayed for he had always been against it in former times whenever any one suggested it he had answered sharply that in a pastor's house grain should be used for baking bread and boiling porridge not for that fatal drink that only brought people to ruin and he said exactly the same to dear mother she was not to be put off however and answered that if he wanted to put an end to all dram drinking in the house she was quite agreed but if anyway there must be brandy to offer to strangers and for the servants then she thought they might just as well make it themselves it would cost only half as much mother said and she worried and worried until he let her have her way for the first distilling mother borrowed a brandy vat with lid and pipe from a big house near and as soon as it came she set to work and attended to it with the greatest care what between soaking and fermentation she left the brewing maid no peace and was in the brew-house all through the process certainly no one could reproach mother with sparing herself dear father on the contrary shut himself up the whole time and did not once honour mother by peeping in at the brew-house door and asking for a taste of the brew she knew well enough that he still disapproved and she knew that if only one of the workpeople took a little too much to drink dear father would seize the opportunity to forbid the whole performance 
So dear mother was most particular that none of her helpers should get too many sips, and such was her authority that she managed to keep good order all the time. Only one little misfortune happened. Dear mother had quite finished the clearing, and had not much else left to do, except to draw off the brandy in casks and bottles. She had also to dispose of the lees, but they were still warm, so she put them in a bucket outside the brewhouse door to cool. No sooner had they been put down than Longbank went by. The bucket pulled and pulled him, but mother, standing in the doorway, called out, why friend bengt you are surely not thinking of drinking that it is not fit for human beings only distillers wash as it is long bengt put on an innocent look and went his way he was going to the dairy of course and there was surely no harm in passing the brewhouse door sure enough he went to the dairy to fetch the hay fork that the dairymaid had lent him and started off to take it back with him to the stable but when long bengt opened the gate to the backyard he came upon big billy standing with his nose between the railings sniffing away in the direction of the brewhouse it was a fine day so all the goats were out but the others were on a wood pile and big billy stood alone by the gate no one can understand how Long Bengt could be so clumsy, but he opened the gate so wide that Big Billy managed to push out past him, and he never even troubled to drive the creature back again, as he ought to have done, but only just looked to see that the orchard gates were shut, to keep Big Billy from dear father's apple trees and dear mother's cabbage beds. Very likely he thought it wouldn't matter if he did get on to the lawn and crop a mouthful of grass. But you must know that Big Billy did not so much as glance at the good grass, but trotted away towards the brewhouse. He came tripping along so daintily and quietly that mother never heard a sound, although the brewhouse door stood ajar. The creature had always had such refined manners. When he was thirsty, he neither lapped the water like a dog, nor sucked it up like a horse, but drank so quietly that no one knew what he was about. Many a milk-can had Big Billy emptied behind the dairymaid's back, and now he managed to sup up all the brandy-lees in peace and quiet, without mother having the least idea of what was happening. But when it was all gone, Big Billy began to bleat as he always did, for he thought mischief lost all its pleasure, unless he was there to see how vexed and angry everyone was at his misdeeds. And in a moment mother was on the threshold, and saw the empty bucket. She seized the long black stove-rake which always stood in the corner by the door, and aimed a blow at Big Billy. But after all Billy's days of petting, he could not possibly believe that dear mother was angry in good earnest. So up he got on his two hind-legs and danced about before her. Now Big Billy was both strong and old, and it was not always a joke to tackle him. Dear mother struck out with a rake, and those who knew his temper felt that no good would come of it. So they all came, father, Snow White, and the maids running out of the house to help mother, 
but big billy was doing her no harm only hopping to and fro so that father told the others not to stop his game and at the same time he called out to mother to hurry into the brewhouse and shut the door before play had become earnest but mother paid no heed to the warning and at last managed to give big billy such a hard knock that he felt it down he came on all fours not that that made it any better for now he rushed into the brewhouse and used his horns to crash down every bottle and jug he could reach and no sooner had dear mother got in after him than he was out again now big billy knew that he had given mother enough to do with picking up what he had knocked down to keep her out of the way for a little whilst he went on with his joke so he stood a few seconds outside the brewhouse door looking round and then began to climb quietly up the hill to the big house big billy generally had something grave and dignified about him a gift by no means to be despised for who could possibly suspect such a stately creature of even a thought of mischief and never had he looked so splendid as now when up he went stepping slowly along lifting each foot high and throwing his head back with his nose up in the air as if to show off his great beard and long horns yet that it was not quite all in earnest was plain enough by his dancing eye and the sideward twist of his hind-quarters father thought that big billy was off to the other goats behind the house so he called out to snow white and the other womenkind to get out of the great goat's way and not irritate him but if that had been big billy's intention he changed his mind as he passed the porch and saw that the door had been left wide open when they had all rushed out to drive him away and just as he was walking along with his most dignified step he gave one spring up the steps and ran into the house the maids rushed after in a body to drive him out then he took refuge on the garret steps and when they followed him up to the garret out he jumped through the window without troubling to look first how far it was from the ground but his usual luck did not forsake him and so it happened that he hit upon the very window which was exactly above the porch roof it was a little steep roof with a narrow ridge upon which big billy alighted he could not move an inch to right or left without falling and it did not seem possible either for him to turn back into the garret again get in with you big billy cried dear father as she shook his cane at him but big billy did not budge the maids had come out again and were in despair over what might happen to him but big billy looked quite pleased as he turned his head and winked at them it was plain how greatly he enjoyed their terror mother had picked up her bottles and was coming rake in hand to chastise big billy when he caught sight of her he winked more wickedly than before evidently he hadn't the slightest respect for dear mother once more she struck at him with a rake and as she did it he gathered his feet together flew through the air like an arrow and came down on the ground just in front of her and no sooner was he there than he got on his hind legs and gave mother a tap that knocked her down then away rushed big billy to the back garden bounded over the gate 
and spent the next few hours dancing to his wives. But no one troubled about him just then. They had all rushed forward to help Mother, and the first to reach her was Snow White. But Mother pushed her violently away. "'Don't touch me!' she snapped. "'I know your feelings towards me, and can see this just pleases you. Laugh away whilst you can. I know something that will make you cry.' And it was true enough that Snow White had not looked very much upset, for she had laughed so much at the great goat that she could not be serious again in a moment. But Mother's words made her sad enough all day long. And my dear foster-sister will easily understand that it wasn't this that gave Snow White fresh courage, but a little dream that she dreamt the night after. For then Snow White saw a great goat standing again on the porch roof, but it was no longer a real goat, but all the gaiety and good temper that had lived in this home of old, which had crept out on the roof and was up there openly defying Mother. The creature could talk to, and told Mother that she would never be able to work her will and turn this house into a hard, cold prison. There was too much of its former spirit still left in it to fight against her. And when Snow White awoke, she thought it had all been true, and felt no longer quite so lonely in her struggle with dear mother. "'You may be very sure I shall take some slices of bread for Big Billy the next time I go to see Snow White,' said Anna Brogren, as the pastor's daughter paused for a moment. "'I'm afraid the kind thought comes too late,' said her foster-sister. "'For Snow White tells me, in her last letter, that dear mother has sent him to the butcher.' "'Look at that now,' said Anna Brogren thoughtfully. "'Look at that now. And Snow White's father let him be killed without a word? I tell you, I begin to think Snow White's stepmother will do her mischief. But the pastor's daughter broke in with a hasty, Oh, it is not the stepmother who hurts Snow White. On the contrary, she says Snow White's one thought is to do her some ill. She might know better. Everything goes wrong for Snow White. I will just tell you one thing more to show you how unfortunate she is. I should like to hear the whole of the tale, said Anna Brogren. But indeed I can see well enough that it is Snow White who is in danger, and not her stepmother. There is no need to tell my dear foster-sister that it was Snow White's father who had planted all the parsonage grounds. They had to thank him for the gooseberries, the currants, the rare strawberries, the great kitchen-gardens, and the little rose-bed to the west of the house. But the very best in dear father's orchard was, after all, the apple-trees. He had planted and grafted them with his own hands, and I think you might go a long way before you would see the like of the fruit they bore. Whenever Snow White ate any of father's apples, she always thought they tasted as though they were made of nothing but sunshine and summer warmth. Never had Snow White seen such beautiful apples in the orchard as this summer. Such pearmains, astrakhans, golden pippins, Tom Putts, Codlins, Rainettes, and Winter Apples. Perhaps the trees were not so heavily laden as sometimes, 
but their fruit was all the finer for it. Not a single apple was worm-eaten. They were all alike big and beautiful. How transparent the skin of the tomputs, how golden the pippins, whilst every pearmane blushed a dark crimson, and not an astrakhan but had a bright rosy cheek. The apples were really such a splendid crop that they were the talk of the whole countryside. They were so big and fine that they brightened up the road, and passers-by used to come down to the house and ask for leave to go into the orchard and look at them. But I must say that nice and beautiful as apples are, they bring a great deal of worry. It is useless to deny that in former years a great quantity of the parsonage apples had been stolen, but this year scarcely one was lost in this way for mother never wearied in her watch over them. Ever since the end of August, when the apples began to ripen, she had been in the orchard every evening on guard. But mother did more than this. She protected the apples from the home people too, for she had padlocks put on the orchard gates, and always kept the keys in her pocket. If she found a specially big shiny non-such, she might perhaps gather it for dear father, but neither Grandmother Beata nor Snow White ever got so much as a bite. Yes, indeed, in other years the apples may not have been so fine, but they had given more pleasure, for there had been no one about the house who had not eaten their fill of them. And not only that, but every one who came to the parsonage got a taste and most carried home a little basketful as well. Even when the gathering time came, not an apple was eaten, for mother saw to the work herself. She put on gloves and plucked each apple slowly and carefully, so that they should not be pinched or bruised. Snow White did indeed think it was a little hard not to have the apples whilst they still had their fresh summer flavour but she consoled herself with the thought of how nice it would be to have them to eat all the autumn and winter. For no doubt mother knew how to keep them so that they would not decay. But she soon learned that dear mother had other plans. Not for one moment had she thought of letting the parsonage people sit and eat her apples. Dear father, of course, would have liked to keep his apples in his house, as he had always done. But dear mother reckoned they could make money by them. She meant to sell all the beautiful fruit at Broby Fair. And, of course, mother had her way. She drove to the fair with two carts full of apples, and a man and maid to help her sell them. When she came to the market-place she put up her stall, opened her boxes and barrels, and laid out the apples. Mother was not afraid of any kind of work, and stood before her stall with great gloves on her hands, and a thick shawl knotted round her waist to sell her fruit herself. She was not going to trust this work to anyone else, and she might well be proud of such wares as she had to offer. Her stall shone so with red, white, green, and yellow, that people crowded round just for the pleasure of looking at it. 
now at the big Bruby fair there were always fruit growers from the sermland mansions and from the country estates in neset but no one of them had such fine fruit as mother as soon as she was ready to sell every one hurried up and asked what she wanted for her apples but mother asked so much that they were amazed and refused to buy so she had to sit there with her treasure and see how the market people bought instead from her neighbors but she would not yield nor lower her prices by a single farthing she asked just double the price of any one else no doubt she thought she would sell them later on when strangers had got rid of all theirs perhaps too mother reckoned on something else as well she knew well enough how much brandy was generally drunk at Bruby fair and that after twelve o'clock there was scarcely a sober man to be found so maybe she thought that by afternoon the peasant folk wouldn't be so careful of their money it looked too as though mother might be right the later it grew the more people gathered round her stall at first all the small boys and girls at the fair with their fingers in their mouths and such pathetic longing in their faces for the apples they had no money to buy but afterwards grown-up people too stood hanging about as though they could not keep their eyes off the fruit from time to time one and another came and asked the price but mother stuck to her first answer and asked as much as in the morning she was not going to sell for less when everyone else's apples were all gone her turn was coming now no doubt dear mother saw the desire for apples in every face and thought with every passing moment it will soon be too much for them they only want someone to make a start but time went on and on and even mother must have begun to think that she would have to go home with all her apples unsold so she determined to make a last effort and sent her maid to look for snow white who was away amongst the stalls buying presents for all at home who had not been able to get to the fair when snow white came back to mother she ordered her to take her place for a time and sell the apples mother had been standing on the same spot all day long and her feet were so frozen that she felt she must move about a little it was not with the best will in the world that snow white took her place to sell at Bruby fair but as she did not dare to say no to mother she tied the shawl round her shoulders drew on mother's gloves and stood instead of her before the stall and with many a warning to snow white not to lower the price for any one who wanted to drive a bargain nor to eat the apples herself mother went her way but if she thought people would buy from her stepdaughter more readily than from her she was mistaken snow white just had to stand in the same way guarding the apples without selling a single one old and young still gathered in a close ring round her but no one offered to buy then a couple of half-tipsy young peasants came along with their sweethearts on their arms and forced their way through the crowd they were excited and talking in loud voices and rattling their money as though it burned their pockets snow white was so frightened of them that she would have liked to run away 
but she stuck to her post in the hope of at last selling something but they came up to her and the first of them without ever asking the price straight away put his great fist over a heap of the best apples at the same time he glanced at snow white and tried to look as sober and honest as possible whilst he asked where do these apples come from snow white answered that they were from her own home yes i have been there many a time said the young fellow and i know you and your father a nice man the pastor is too snow white gave a friendly answer she liked him for speaking well of dear father i know you and he are both kind folk went on the farmer kind enough to let a poor servant taste your apples without paying for them and before snow white knew what he was about he had snatched a great handful of the beautiful apples and rushed off and the sweetheart on his arm took some too as she ran after him and so did his friend and his friend's sweetheart but poor snow white had never dreamt of such a thing and was in utter despair that they had run off with so many apples and left no money instead she wanted to run after them and get them back but she did not dare so she sent the man and maid-servant who were standing behind her to catch them up as they went she noticed the whole crowd moving close up to the stall now they are coming to buy she thought and plucked up fresh courage but not a bit of it they never thought of such a thing but ran up ten at a time and took as many apples as they could whilst they cried out that she and her father were far too kind to ask poor folk to pay for a couple of apples and the little boys who had stood all day with their eyes on the shining fruit pulled off their caps and filled them whilst the little girls who knew what watering mouths meant rushed up and swept scores of apples into their aprons snow white threw herself over the stall to protect it with her body but what good was that and she cried and entreated and told them how miserable they made her but who paid any heed to her it was not only the little boys and girls who snatched her treasure but grown-up folk as well and how they laughed and joked and thought it was only a little fair day fun as every one who helped himself called out to her that she and her father were far too kind to grudge them a couple of apples snow white struck out right and left and screamed for help but the apples were gone the fair folk cleared her stall before her eyes overturned her boxes and barrels and took all the fruit there were plenty of wild good-for-nothings at the fair who came to take their part in the fun which soon ended in fistcuffs and blows so that snow white had to leave her wares to their fate and run away to escape being trampled to death just then back came mother and found her stepdaughter robbed and weeping despairing tears of mingled fear and anger dear mother seized her by the arm and shook her soundly you wait till we get home to-night she said and i'll teach you to give away my apples indeed it was no wonder that mother was vexed still it was hard that she should think her stepdaughter had done it on purpose what a wretched home-going it was they all sat in the carriage father mother and snow white and at first father tried to chat away as usual but mother sat bolt upright in one corner with tight-shut lips and would not utter a word 
while Snow White did nothing but cry. Dear father couldn't take the loss of a few apples so much to heart, and he was amused at the folk calling out that he was too kind to grudge them a couple of apples. He tried to keep up his spirits by talking to all the other homegoers as he passed them. He asked if they had got good prices for their cows, what they had given for their sheep, and if they had come across any of his apples. But after a while he grew strangely silent. He turned to mother and sat for a long time looking at her, then stared straight in front of him, and his face grew all at once very old and weary. A little later Snow White noticed that dear father looked long and sadly at her, as though he was trying to read the thoughts of her inmost heart. Then he said, "'You grow very like your mother,' and taking her hand in both of his, he sat gently stroking it. It seemed as though her father wanted to comfort and help her. Snow White thought, "'Dear father understands that I did not do it on purpose. He knows I am not like that.' Father held her hand all the way home, but his head fell lower and lower, and when the carriage stopped at the door, he sank down altogether. Nor did he stir when Mother and Snow White got up. They thought he was dead. But it was not quite so bad as that, although it very nearly was. The pastor's daughter stopped a moment. Her voice shook, and she needed a little time to steady it before she could go on. "'Now you know how I'm placed,' she said. Mother can do what she will to me, and I cannot complain to dear father, for fear he should have another stroke, as he had when he drove home from the fair, thinking of the quarrel between us. But can he not see it himself? Maybe he sees, but he can do nothing. Father is supposed to be quite well again, but I know how weak he is. He has no longer a will of his own. Never again can dear father be what he was that fine morning when he and I went together to look at the field of hay. End of section five read by Lars Rolander.